Be still. Listen. Be calm. Words like what you just read and what you just heard are the kinds of words that Joshua used with the people of Israel as he brought them to the precipice of a God encounter. They were about to experience God in all of His, and I'll use this word, loudness, in the volume of the Almighty. And yet prior to that, Joshua wanted them to be still. You know, I've learned that often silence breeds anticipation, doesn't it? You've been with a group of teenagers and you can't get their attention. And so instead of raising your voice, I've often begun to speak even more quietly in order to get their attention. It reminds me of what Elmer Fudd did with, was it Bugs Bunny? Be very, very quiet. (laughs) Do you recall that? And it built the anticipation for a rabbit encounter possibly. You know, in Joshua 3 and 4, we see protocol for a God encounter. And the very first element of that protocol, the very first step that Joshua led the children of Israel through as they were about to cross over, as they were on the edge of experiencing God in a, in a way that maybe wasn't new, for He had done miraculous works time after time, but perhaps it was new in this moment. Here the Jordan River was. They had yet to cross over. They had been wandering for 40 years thinking, man, we should have done this last time. Are you with me? And here they were now, just uh, probably about two miles from the banks. And then they moved closer or three days prior to that. And they're waiting. They're about to see God bring them not only over Jordan, but to to the forefront of the land of promise. To the... Uh, to face to face with their enemy. Here they are. And, and we're going to see what God does and how God goes about preparing and helping us remember God encounters. Joshua chapter 3. Your Bibles are open there, I trust. You've got a pen handy. You've got your teaching tool open as well so we can take some notes and remember what we talk about. We've got a number of verses to look at in Joshua 3 and 4, so I'll probably just mention several and have you follow me real quickly through a number of verses. I would encourage you, however, in your lighthouses and small groups this week to read this story word for word. It's an awesome story of God's faithfulness and His power. Here's protocol for experiencing such a God encounter. Joshua 3.3, look with me. The Bible says that the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people, and here's the order. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Did you catch the words move out? But they're not to move out until when? Until the Ark being carried by the priests goes in front of them. So the the correct implication is this. If the Ark has not gone before you, don't move out. Sit tight. Be still. And we know that for about three days they did exactly this. They waited for God to go before them. Look at Joshua 3 verse 5. In this time of waiting, the Bible says that Joshua's orders were to consecrate yourselves. 
For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. They were on the eve of God's amazing work. That meant that if tomorrow God's doing amazing things, then today it must be our time for consecration. Now, now that's a very personal, almost Levitical word. Now use that in the sense that it's drawn from the book of, of Leviticus. To consecrate oneself would mean at least three things in the nation of Israel. It would mean the changing of garments. Now remember, this was not an easy thing. They were camping in the desert. How many here uh, like to camp? Now you don't want to pack a wardrobe, amen? You pack just what's necessary. And and changing clothes is not the most conducive thing or convenient thing, especially if you have a pop-up or a tent. I mean, changing is just not like an every day or an every hour occurrence. You kind of make do. They've been camping for at least 38 years in a desert, sand, and it's just wind. And they're to change their garments, they're to wash their bodies which was probably a task as well. And then they would abstain from any kind of sexual intimacy. And what this shows is that they were willing to physically separate and purify themselves to show God they were spiritually ready. This was not just an, uh, a, uh, you know, a word Joshua chose to say, kind of think for a few moments to get ready. Man, God, Joshua was saying, listen, go back to your tents, to your dwelling places, and do some things different. It took work. It was an action-based command. Consecrate yourselves. Look at Joshua 3, verse 9. He also said to them here, Come here and... What's the next word there in the NIV? Listen to the words of the Lord your God. And of course, God was giving them uh, futuristic indications here about their victories that were upcoming. But they weren't asked to come and discuss. They were not asked to come in a committee and talk. They were asked to do one thing. What? Listen, and the, and the real message of the first 13 verses of Joshua 3 is this. We're about to cross over, so you need to get ready. I learned something from these verses. Waiting comes before winning. In fact, I'll say the same thing to you today in three or four different ways. Not that you don't get it the first time, but maybe just to help you remember it. Amen? These first 13 verses show me that consecration is something that's important before conquest. Remember Joshua chapter 1? God did this in Joshua's life, didn't He? He had Joshua win the wars of the heart long before He had him go into the promised land and capture the physical territory. And the principle is ringing true again now with the nation of Israel. Stillness before success. And I want to say to you, first time, listen very carefully. Long before you want to see the hand of God move, you ought to thirst for the heart of God. I know it's easy to want God to, to meet our bills, take care of our needs, and save our crises and rescue us from our failures. And He wants to. He is a God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. Amen? But can I say to you, it is spiritually presumptuous to expect God to act on our behalf outwardly if we deny His work within us inwardly. God would much rather you be broke with a holy heart than rich with a cold and distant attitude. Are you catching the drift, First Family? 
Your, the, the Lord's first concern is your heart. And so long before He parted the Jordan River, He said, hey guys, let's take some time and let's consecrate ourselves. Uh, first family, how's the inside? You say, Todd, you asked me that too many times. No, I don't ask you that enough. In the last four weeks have shown, this is the crucial question to ask. I'll just be real honest with you here like I always am. I should say I'll be more transparent with you than I normally am. God is doing a miraculous thing in the homes and lives of people all through First Family. And I can't always share those with you. That wouldn't be the right thing to do. You with me? I mean, there's something to be said for people being able to, to bring their cares to their pastors and their, and their leaders and say, here's what I'm going through. But I want to thank those of you who have, who have taken incredible steps towards victory in your life. You have come face to face with your fears. You have stood toe to toe with your temptations. And instead of old actions of giving in, you said, you know what? God is faithful. He wants me to live victoriously. And you've made great progress in some serious areas. And I want to thank many families, especially some husbands and dads in this room, who've done an awesome thing. You've taken the leadership reins of your life first and of your heart, and you're winning the inside war. Hallelujah, First Family. That will pay awesome dividends to your wife and your children. Because before we win, guess what? Often we have to wait. There's a season of intense evaluation, examination, that comes long before we raise our hands in victory. Now, this is not a new concept in the Bible. Let me give you two, two chapters to write down with your eyeliner and your pen, your mascara, your lipstick, whatever. Write these down. Genesis 35, would you? Here, the Bible speaks of Jacob's encounter with God at a place called Bethel. And if you're somewhat of an Old Testament buff, you'll know that it was at Bethel that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now, that's a God encounter, isn't it? When you have your name changed. In fact, Genesis 35:15 says this. That it was at Bethel, listen to this, that God talked to Jacob. Wow, that's, that's, an in, that's, that's the, the intensity of that relationship went up a notch or two at Bethel. You know what Jacob did right before Genesis 35? Catch this. When he knew God was calling his name to go to Bethel, he made things right with his brother Esau. He'd been running for years. That's an inside issue. He then got, got rid of all the foreign gods in his family. He took the reins of leadership and he said, Hey, family, uh, we're packing up the truck and moving to Beverly. Excuse me, Bethlehem. We're moving to Bethel. He obeyed God's voice. He hauled the family without the foreign gods to Bethel. And it was there. After times of consecration, after waiting and evaluating, it was at Bethel then that God talked with Jacob. Exodus 19. Write this chapter down. It's the chapter prior to Exodus 20. Again, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that Exodus 20 talks about the giving of what? The Ten Commandments. Our kids in Kids Central have been studying that on their Wednesday night workshops. And so here Moses is getting the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but prior to that, Moses and the children of Israel spend several days consecrating themselves, getting things right inwardly, purifying the camp, shall we say. And the words in Exodus 19 is this. The words are these, uh, that... You're about to have a meeting with God. And so prior to their meeting with God, at which, of course, not only did the Israelites stay a distance from the mountain, but Moses was taken up into the mountain and a cloud hit him. 
I mean, this whole experience, this whole encounter was like, wow, God, You're awesome. We'd better get ready to meet God. And too many times, we underestimate God encounters and rush into them without being ready or still. Perhaps the best corollary is how too many of us do communion. How many of you knew that next week is communion? Don't raise your hand. Can I say to you that you ought to be preparing now for the memorial of the Lord's Supper next week. If you think we underestimate the impact of the Lord's table, read 1 Corinthians. What is it? Chapter 11. Where Paul says this, that we're to examine ourselves so that we would not fall under the condemnation of the Lord. If we judge ourselves, then we won't be judged. That's not popular preaching. It doesn't really make anybody feel good in today's culture. But it's true. And most churches overlook communion or do it quickly because here's why. They don't want to take the time to ask their church to examine themselves. And one thing we've done at First Family that we will never back off from is on communion Sundays when the tables are here and it's time to proclaim the Lord's death through a visible way, we will ask you, stop, look inside, and if you're just not ready, don't move. That's one of the reasons we don't really pass the plate. Did you know that? Some folks say, why don't you pass the cup? It's easier. I don't want to make it easy on you. That's a time that really you ought to be examining your life, repenting of your sin. And, and if you're in process there, just, just wait then. It, we should really consider God encounters as, as moments that we don't take lightly. Seeking God's heart is an attitude that should come before we seek His hand. By the way, this, this God encounter that the Israelites were facing... While, like I said, it might not have been a new one, it was still the most current one, wasn't it? The Jordan River. Here they are looking at this obstacle. This river that's rushing in front of them. Uh, Now, most scholars believe that in normal times, the river was about 100 or so feet wide. But in this flood stage, because of the rains... Uh, the river would expand to about a mile wide. I'll show you some pictures of, of current day Jordan River. Can I do that? Let me show you a few things that, that would help you understand a little more about the Jordan River. Here in the upper left column, upper left picture, you see how it winds. It's about a 200 mile long river. And it does traverse at a steep descent. Here on the bottom center, so to speak, it is opening up into the Dead Sea. And then on the right, of course, you see a little closer view of, of some of the rapids of the Jordan River. Uh, a seaman named Lynch once navigated the entire Jordan River. And uh, he wrote in his journals that uh, there were at least 27 magnificent, as he called them, rapids, and then many of a lesser degree. So when you think about the Jordan River and the children of Israel facing this obstacle, and God saying, get ready, I'm about to do amazing things tomorrow, it wasn't like they just decided to turn off a spigot and you know skip over a mud puddle. We're talking about a, a pretty good-sized river, especially during flood stage, which doesn't really show here. And, and geography back then, thousands of years ago, could have been a little different as well. So we're not sure of the exact facts. But know this, it was a pretty massive river, and we know that there were at least about a million people at this point within the children of Israel. Now, I don't know how you get a million people across a rushing river 
that could have been a mile wide during flood stage. That's, that's a pretty good task, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine all of Des Moines trying to cross the Des Moines River? That's about 300,000 people trying to cross the Des Moines River. That, that'd be a task. Let's multiply that times three, at least. Well, with this in mind, and they're standing on the Jordan, they do the next thing. They obey God's next command. Look with me, Joshua three, fourteen. It says they broke camp to cross the Jordan. They must have seen the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant go ahead of them. In fact, they did, according to verse 14. Then it says the Jordan's at flood stage. and Look at verse 15 now. As soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. That's amazing, isn't it? When did the water stop flowing? Yeah. And the, the rest of these few verses of chapter 3 show us that that when the priest stepped in, they took the ark to the middle. They stood in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground. By the way, two miracles happened. Not only did the waters back up for about 20 to 30 miles, all the way back to a city called Adam, that immediately the, dry, the ground was dry. That's a pretty impressive miracle in and of itself, isn't it? So dry ground, probably for a stretch of 20 to 30 miles, I think that's how a million plus people got across. It wasn't as if there was like a, you know, like a 20 foot gate and they're all like going, you know, three by three across, just kind of marching along. Man, I think it was about a 20, 30 mile stretch gate. And they were all encamped along the border there for a while. And then in tribes, clans, divisions, and families, which is how they were divided, when they saw the ark go ahead and word got around, they said, Hey, the ark's in the middle. And suddenly there's dry ground. You know, hey, honey, grab the kids. Let's cross over. And they just walk over on dry ground. And while the ark camps in the middle, they take a step of faith. The priest stepped out. The waters backed up. And all of Israel crossed over. Look at Joshua chapter 3, about verse 16, the very end. So the people crossed over. Amen? Look at the end of verse 17. All Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I learned something else here in these last few verses of chapter 3. That often, success takes a first step. Not only is there waiting, but uh, winning requires waiting. Are you with me? Can you imagine being one of the priests? The Ark of the Covenant was held uh, on their shoulders through rods. And I don't know if it was like a zero entry level, perhaps like the aquatic center here in Ankeny. I don't know if their first step maybe looked like it was four feet. I don't know. But as those priests came to the edge, someone had to take a step. I would love to have been there. Did they vote on it? Did they go on the count of three and one guy not count? Or did they you know, trick one guy? Hey, Jim, let's all count of three, but don't step. Like Harry step, you know. And, I mean, what happened? I don't know. And I'm sure those are facetious ways to approach it. But at some point, the, the priest came to the edge of the Jordan. And though the, the parting of the waters was a miracle brought about by God for the people, watch this, it hinged upon a step by the priest. So I learned something. Often before conquest, you have to commit. We're not real good at that sometimes, are we? We want to see God do His incredible work. I love the God encounter from the lazy boy. you that way sometimes? And we want God to do His work prior to me getting up. But somewhere in the character of God, 
He has this sovereign ability to do what He does while at the same time saying to you, I'll do it when you... And I don't quite understand all that and I can't explain it or will, but it kind of goes along with James. Draw near to God and He will draw near to us. We don't really manipulate God. We don't leverage Him. And yet there is this sense that often He is waiting for us to wade into the water. And you get it all figured out, let me know. I'm kind of curious. I'm just thankful that God is a God of action and He expects action from His people. When I thought about this all week, about knowing God's heart, and then once you know His heart and you want to see His hand stepping out moving your feet, I thought about Peter. In fact, you ought to jot down Matthew 14. Because in Matthew 14, we have the story of Peter walking on the water. But guess what? That would never have happened had Peter not done what? Stepped out of the boat. Now church, understand, he wasn't in like a little two-man John boat, okay? He was in some type of vessel somewhat large that probably housed 10 to 12 people. So he had to probably climb over the edge. And if you've ever climbed over the edge of a boat... It's not like you can just kind of hang on to the side and decide to step. At some point, you commit. I suspect Peter didn't step to the water. I think he had to go ahead and jump. I think the edge of the boat was high enough and he probably was straddling it. And What do you think, James? What do you think, Thaddeus? I mean, what do I do? I think maybe John pushed him. Who knows? You know, and He's on the edge and, and he just kind of says, well, here I go. And he kind of takes a lunge and boom. That's a great rock there. And... And he's walking on water. It wasn't really a rock, you know. But who knows what Peter was thinking. The Lord's on, you know, a few yards away, I guess. Peter, come on out to me. All that would have never happened had Peter not got out of the boat. There is a sense in the Christian life where you have to commit a step. Lord, meet my bills. Perhaps God says, give. Oh, wait, God, could you meet before I give? Lord, restore this relationship. God says, apologize. Are you with me? There's just a sense that, that in God's sovereign nature, He often waits for us to wait. It's not any, it doesn't diminish His power, but He's asking us to show our faith in Him. Now, I want to say something to you really clearly and boldly. Because most of you, and I'm going to use the word you here, I'm in with you. But I feel God's Spirit really leading me this way this week to say this to you. Listen very carefully. Most of us, most of you, and I do this too, we make that step harder than it should be. And you've been, I don't use the word deceived, but you've been kind of misguided by listening to people around you who make every single step impossible. Can I say to you, a lot of us make life harder than it should be. Some of the steps we've got to take shouldn't be that difficult to reconcile a relationship, to, to uh, correct our spending, to treat our kids properly, to love our wives or husbands in the right way. I mean, those aren't major life obstacles that we should have to pray about for a month. Hey, can we just do something right? And here's why I say that to you. Listen very carefully. When you know God is with you, those steps are easier. I'll let that statement settle in for you a little bit. Say, Todd, you're making it sound like I I should just be able to to move forward. Well, with the Holy Spirit in you, I do think that's true. What are you waiting on? 
I think we've bought into some of our cultural way of thinking that every problem is a massive problem and we need psychoanalysis and major therapy. And You know, can I just say to you, some things, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, just go ahead and do what God says and trust Him with the results. He will never let you down. He'll be faithful to you. You see, I think with the Ark of the Covenant, before the children of Israel, that step into the dry ground was a lot easier. You see, the ark represented God's presence, didn't it? Now, if I had my family and we were on the edge of the Jordan and there was no ark in front keeping the waters back, I'd have been just flat scared too. I'm like, man, I'm not stepping out. Brett, hold on, honey. Don't, don't, joke, don't go. We're not stepping out. But if the ark is in the middle of the Jordan and the waters are pushed back, if I was an Israelite, I'd be saying, hey, God's in the Jordan. What are you waiting on? Let's walk. Are you with me? Hey, church, listen. God is with you. If you're a believer, His Spirit lives within you. And sometimes I want to say to Christians, what are you waiting on? Man, look at your problems and your monsters. Face your temptations and say, hey, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, here I come. And start stepping. Timidity is a problem in the church. Most of our spines are just too limberish. They're too soft. And I encourage you today to live by the words that our Father left us. His Spirit would empower us. He would never leave us or forsake us. And just as the ark was with the children and went before them, so God goes before you. Take heart and be brave. Amen. Take a step. Commit. God will not fail you. So they're all across the Jordan. They're on the other side and there's still the priest in the middle. Just waiting. What happens next is interesting. And it's contained in Joshua chapter 4. Let's read a a few select verses, shall we? Joshua chapter 4, look about verse 3. It says that after they'd all crossed over, Joshua then said, tell them to... um, The Lord said to Joshua to tell the people to take up twelve stones. And representing a stone from each tribe. Look down about verse um, 5, the middle of verse 5. He said, each man from, one man from each tribe should take a stone up and put it on his shoulder. And that represents probably the fact that it was somewhat of a large stone. A man had to carry it on his shoulders. And uh, this was to serve as a sign among them. Look at verse 7, the very end of verse 7. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, now skip all the way to verse 20. The Bible says that Joshua obeyed God. They got the twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan. They brought them out. And verse 20 says, Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones. Now, Gilgal was about a mile into uh, the, the land area. So that was another good hike. They got to Gilgal, set them up. There's twelve stones. And here's why they did that. Verse 24. You there, Joshua 4:24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth... And suddenly there, the, the purpose of the monument, the memorial, kind of expands, doesn't it? It was meant just for the, the descendants and their children. But God here says, listen, it'll speak beyond that. It'll speak to all the peoples of the earth. And here's what it'll say to them. The hand of the Lord is powerful, and that you might always fear the Lord your God. When God does a miraculous thing in front of us, when we experience a God encounter, as we have waited... And then waited, guess what? 
our last, perhaps our, our concluding step ought to be to witness about that very work that God did. I'll say it like this. We should not be afraid to celebrate after conquest. Or maybe let's word it like this. After success, bring on the stones. Amen. For once we've seen God's work, and we've seen Him change our hearts and give us the right heart, once our heart and His hand collide, I think often that's when we ought to say, you know what, let's remember His work. And that's what these Israelites did. They set up a pile of stones to remember forever that when the Jordan looked impossible and uncrossable, God parted the waters, dried up the ground, and we walked across. You'll see that in this whole bit of chapter 4 here. Stones have a way of, of, of signifying in this chapter significant events. This is not the only time that Israel set up monuments of stones. And several times at significant places. For instance, at Bethel, they built altars. They set up stone memorials. As a way to speak not only to the people then, but to say to people following them, Hey, God did something incredible here. Don't forget it. I was asking our staff over the last couple of weeks, especially this week, what has God done at First Family that, that we don't ever want to forget? Now, granted, you may have a different answer to that question than we do, but we came up with seven. Seven really neat things that God's done in our church. And I'm not saying that's the only ones, but there's seven that, that we would like to tell you about. In fact, we brought these... Wonderful stones from Menards to show you. We didn't get them from the Jordan, and they're really not real, you know. They're fake. But can you imagine bringing a stone of this size in? I won't have to carry that, I'm sure, because we couldn't carry something that big that was that real. We kind of simulated what it might be like to have a, a stone memorial. I think about uh, this stone here. And as I mentioned one of these stones, I'm going to ask one of our elders or deacons just to come join me up front. Maybe kind of two or three here, two or three there. And don't hesitate, guys. Just come on up as I mention one, okay? I think about this stone here. I just want to say that this stone to me represents, and our church is talking about our staff, was uh, that day we signed our charter and began the services of First Family Church. I'm really glad, and I'm going to say this to you humbly, but unapologetically, I'm glad God planted First Family Church. I really am. I'm so thankful He put that in the heart of some people at Grace West. And now that church sent 33 of us out. And uh, we started, and then God brought some more folks around that. And today, you know what? You get to, and I'll use the word here in the right way, you get to enjoy uh, First Family Church because back around somewhere in the early part of September of 04, there were a group of folks, probably 60 or 70, that signed their name on a dotted line and said, you know what, thick or thin, good or bad, my way or not my way, I'm sticking with this thing. We have that church charter. Randy and Sarah framed it for us. We got it in our office. You know what, that's a, that's a very moving thing for me. Because it shows that there's some people who meant what they said. They should stick it out. I think it's awesome. That stone, that's a big day for our church, wasn't it? That God did that for our church. In fact, if you were here on, on that Sunday, if you were here at the beginning when we signed the charter, would you just raise your hand and just wave at me? Amen. That's awesome. We have a number in the first service. That's great. I pray that God will keep us together. And you can see, obviously, the crowd's grown. Praise His name. But aren't you thankful that on that Sunday, God planted First Family Church? And I just want to praise His name. It's not about a person. It's not about a certain individual. It's about the work of the Lord that He's been building in the hearts of a group of people. 
And today what you see is a result of a committed group who put pen to the paper and said, we're in. That's a thing to remember, isn't it? That's a memorial, a stone that we should not forget. I think about something else that's happened at First Family, and that's this stone just below here, this mill one, shall we say. I think about all the folks that have been saved and baptized at First Family. You know, when we planted our church, and we just obeyed God, that's all we did, we knew that we wanted to be a church that, that was outreach-focused. We care about people. It's not about building a club, amen. It's about uh, planting a church so they can preach sound doctrine and people can be saved. I look back here at Ed Hossie. I remember when your wife first came, Ed. And she was attracted because she heard about a church that oh, was uh, kind of intense. I remember her telling me that. Uh, kind of, well, she used the word, our kids' program was called Wild for Jesus. She thought, man, if they're wild for Jesus, I want to go to that kind of church. And Anyway, she came, and next thing I know, Ed comes, and, and Ed really gets right with God. I remember when Ed got baptized, now your two daughters have been baptized. I mean, Ed, God really changed your life, man. I want to say I, I glorify God on your behalf. I look around the room with other people here. I remember Dave Farnsworth when he got saved that day at the table in Nedlin. I don't know how old our church was, Dave, and I'm looking around for Dave. He may have been at first service, but it wasn't until a few months later that he said, Well, Todd, I got saved at that table that day when you were preaching. I just said, God, I believe what he's saying in the Bible. Save me. Man, isn't that awesome? Just people getting saved like that. Remember Easter Sunday, Lindsey Gehring sitting right back there getting saved. I look around other folks here who have been baptized. And some of you dads have baptized your children. Whether it's in the swimming pool across the way here. I remember, Mark, you baptized your son there at Parkview one Sunday. and uh, I remember Dan back there getting baptized. And Ashley, and I remember, uh, that's a big step for you, Ashley, wasn't it? I mean, you're just not a fan of being in front of people, I know. And you're probably hating this right now, I can imagine. And don't leave our church because I'm doing this, okay? But what an awesome step. I mean, I remember that day when she said, I'm going to just do the right thing. And I look around this auditorium and... Those are stories that say, hey, let's not forget what God did. Amen? God is doing an incredible thing at First Family. He's changing lives. He's saving people from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We should not forget that. There's some other stones here. Uh, I think about one of these stones on the, on the outer circumference here. Uh, and this is just an important thing to me. I think about the way God has healed people at First Family Church. Lori Carnes is down here. Uh, stricken with cancer for who knows why after being at First Family for, what, a week or a month. But somewhere in that, God's purposes prevailed and He healed Lori. Not because of anything we did, but in, by His own power and through His name and through what He does in doctors. Praise the Lord for, for medicine of this century. God restored Lori's life and her husband and kids are three, four glad people. Amen? You can say amen a little louder than that, I know. Come on, people. We're talking about a family that's got to keep their mom. I mean, can we have a little hallelujahs? Amen. I'm thinking about Brian and Lori. And their journey had started before they came to the first family. But man, what a testimony. And how God... And I remember those checkups Brian would go to. And how God's healed Brian and restoring him. There's been a couple of dips along the way physically. But you know, man, what a testimony to God's grace that Brian and Lori Hoying have been. How God healed Brian. And that's amazing. Putting him back singing with that group again. I remember their concert. That was an awesome day. I think of other folks around our church. You may not have been healed physically. Maybe you were. We don't know about it. But I think about there's a number of people who you're not divorced now. And you were on the precipice of ending your marriage. But God restored your love. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God kept your family together. There are men and women who speak to each other now, who before were mad, acting like little children, like little babies. 
but they grew up finally, and they're relating like adults. Hallelujah. There's families who, whose kids are no longer wayward and, and, and straying. I want to say something. I'm thankful that God heals and restores. Amen? And we don't ever want to forget that. We don't want to just assume it didn't happen. We serve a God that heals. Another one of these stones that we wrote down, I think about the team that God put together at First Family. We call them our staff. I'm not a real fan of that word, but it does make sense. I would really have the word team, but there's some people at our church that they've accepted a higher role of leadership, a more intense role, and, and they're an equipper. And it's not just the ones who are on the team now. I think about the folks that God put in our path uh, all along the way for whatever reason. I mean, I just thank God for our team. Here's why. Because every person that was on that team, or who may still be, they're a team that took a risk. And they will always have my respect. I think about, I uh, look back there and I see Jill. and She was an intern at Grace West and stuck with us working full-time at Wells Fargo and oversaw all of our elementary programs on Sunday and Wednesday. And, man, I don't think she ever slept for days and weeks sometimes. But she said, you know what, this church plan's a God thing in my heart. And she just stuck with us. And she was on full-time and then she got married. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that, buddy. No, I'm kidding you about that. But God had put Jill just in the right place in our church at just that right time. Rain in his work with our small groups. And I think about, we saw Kevin this week. He dropped out of the office. Kevin led worship for us for a little bit at the very beginning. And Steve and his role with us. And all those mornings he came in so early from West Des Moines. And then how God brought Marty to us. And then Mike when he moved from Florida. And he was in a church of what, 12, 1500? And he said, sure, Todd, I'll move from Florida to Iowa from, for a church that's not even started yet. Yeah, I'll be glad to. Be right there. I mean, can you imagine? But God enabled and put it in the hearts of people to take a risk. And one of the stones that I don't ever want to forget is the team that God put together and is putting together. And I've learned something. But, you know, God seems to transition people in and out of this team. And I need to be okay with that. In my mind, it's like, hey, don't ever leave. But the truth is, God has times and seasons and, and places and purposes. And I'm just thankful for the people all along the way who took a risk and said, you know what, I'll accept an equipping role. And they were part of our staff. I just thank God for the team He put together here. That's a stone I don't ever want to forget. And you ought to be praying for these people known as your church staff. You ought to really just bathe them in prayer. And I hope you never criticize them. hope you always, if you've got an issue, call them one-on-one. They're the greatest folks in the world. Just, just talk to them. Just, that's the team that God's put together for this time right now to, to lead our church with our elders and deacons. And I'm thankful for them. Here's some other stuff that I think about God doing in our church. I think about that Sunday in January of 05 when we all gathered and we realized the tsunami had hit that region of, of the globe. And Russ Matthews and his wife, whom our Australian team is going to see, I don't know how that worked, but they were going to go to that region and, and provide a lot of help. And so with about one day's notice, we got word to our church that we were going to try to help Russ and his friend Dean go to that region and we we're going to provide some help. And they needed $20,000 to go. There were several churches supporting and so we took an offering that day. And if you remember this, you're going to shout hallelujah. I know. I remember that day, this church was less than, probably about 100 people that Sunday is all we had um, in our whole church. It was just four months after we started. But I remember you guys gave over $10,000 just to that uh, relief effort to the tsunami victims and, and Russ's trip. That was in addition to perhaps our other offering. But $10,000, I went home and I thought to myself, Wow. They do have it to give. That's awesome, you know. And we were kind of joking. But I realized God's faithfulness. If we just obey, if we just go ahead and commit, if we step, He will provide. Amen. I'll never forget that day. Because it showed me that you have a heart for people. You showed yourselves to be true. That You know what? 
It's not about us. It's not building a building or, or getting comfortable. Let's give it away. And man, if you'll give it away, man, God will open the windows of heaven and you'll receive such a blessing you can't even contain it, the Bible says, Malachi. We should never be afraid to give. Amen. On that day, you showed me. Hey, Todd, we'll give every time we can. Another memorial I think about a lot is the day we bought our ground. Easter Sunday of 05, remember that? I'm not sure it was here, but it was unanimous. God gave us a piece of property right in the middle of Ankeny. And uh, at that time, man, I remember $400,000 for about nine acres. So I said, God, I'm not sure we can afford that. Uh, and I, my voice is faltering and we're signing. I'm like, you know, our people were all for it. But I was like, you know, it's good to be for it, but we've got to pay for it, you know. And, you know, we're $75,000 away from being debt free. And I'm just confident in the Lord that by the end of 07, we'll be debt free as 08 comes along. Wouldn't it be great? $400,000 later. Multiple staff later and multiple people later, God's going to make this church debt-free to the glory of His name. Amen. I've had several folks call me about that land. You know, they want that. There's a reason they want what we got. You know that, don't you? They say, we've got a lot more acres further north. We've got some land out there. I'm like, well, that's great. But God gave us some land there on the State Street and Prairie right by the Aquatic Center and the Library and Northview and a bunch of new developments. We're pretty content right there. It's strategic more than it is size that matters to us. Strategy is really important. And that nine acres is going to serve us well, people. Ankeny is going to be kept south for a number of years due to prairie trails. And so we're going to be right in the middle of that. And you know what? It will be great if you'll keep your giving heart and your serving heart. And we keep our focus not on edifices but on edifying people. Man, God will do a great thing among us. This last one I think about represents the growth at First Family. And I want to say this to you. Listen very carefully. I appreciate all of you who raised your hands being there on the charter signing day because I know you have borne a heavy load. Those of you who came to us, you know, two or three years ago, you've watched this church explode to the glory of God. That's not been easy, I know, because some of you probably didn't bargain for that. I get this comment a lot. Well, you know, Todd, we're here, and we just like the fact that it's really a small church field. I'm like, well... I wouldn't get used to that very long because what are you going to do when we grow and, and God brings people here? And so we will talk through that with people. But here's the thing. A lot of you have just shouldered up greatly with our growth. You've met new people when you didn't want to. You took a shell in the back when you didn't want to. Hey, go meet so-and-so. Whoop, you know, and you're over there. Your lighthouse split when it didn't want to. And then it split again when it didn't want to. And it will probably have to split again when it doesn't want to. You know why? Because even though sometimes growth is hard, it's, it's natural for healthy things. It's the right thing. Aren't you glad somebody told you? You should say, Yes, there we go. It's okay to talk back at church. That's a good thing. I mean, it's the height of spiritual racism to say, Hey, I'm glad I heard the gospel, but hey, I'm not going to tell anybody. Where does that come from? Man, the heart that says, Man, I'm so thankful I know. Who can I tell? That's, that's the heart of a rolling church. And when that happens, new people come. And you know what? New people are good. And if you don't know who's sitting around, you ought to get to know them before you leave. We ought to thank God that He's grown our church. We could be like 98.2% of churches in America who average 91 in attendance and worry if they can stay open one more week. Aren't you glad you're not making those worries on your prayer list? 
Instead, aren't you thankful? Hey, where can we meet this week? Uh, how can we fit them in? How can we find more lighthouses? We can find more space for our kids. I thank God for the growth at First Family Church. Things such as having to take our elementary fifth graders and create a whole separate youth group for them called The Bridge. That's a good thing. Getting them ready for junior high and not just pack them in with third and fourth graders, but letting them have their own environment. That's a good thing. Creating a separate environment for all of our babies in a way that they get really good quality care. Going from seven lighthouses to 21 this year. That's a good step for First Family. Do you know that at our church, the best we can figure, about eight out of every ten adults is in a lighthouse. I want to say thank you for that. That wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the commitment of a number of people who said, you know what, the growing church is a fun thing to be a part of. And I want to thank you for your attitude towards growth. You see, those are all stones to me. There are times we look back and we say, man, God did something awesome at First Family. And then I get a call in the office. And we'll just use a fictitious name, you know, uh, Zebulon. Zebulon will say, hey, Todd, I just don't think, uh, you know, I just don't think it's going to work out for us to do this or that or help or go or give. Because, you know, I just don't know if, if, I just don't think God can really do that in my life. Okay, yeah, you don't think God can do that. And I want to say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I want to say, hey, the stones scream to me a different story. And they ought to scream to you a different story. The story is this, God did and God can. So whatever Jordan you're facing, whatever water seemed impossible to cross, there's some people in the past, there's some stones who say that God did some cool things. We've had God encounters and He can do it again. So what are you waiting for? Are you with me? Now I just want to say to God, Lord, I'm ready to cross over. Whatever the obstacle, whatever the battle, the promise and the life of victory for that Christian, that Ephesians 1 type of lifestyle where we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Lord, I'm hot on the trail of that. Again, there's a Jordan in the way. There's a Jericho after the Jordan. But Lord, You've been faithful in the past. We've witnessed what You've done. And we won't stop now. We, we will remember. We'll march on. Or do it again. That's the heart of a people pursuing the heart of God. That's the heart of your pastor this morning. I told you I mentioned the three of my victory markers. I'm, I've got battles too. I'm keeping my journal. I want you to keep yours. And on Victory Sunday, we'll come together and we'll celebrate the Jordans that God has allowed us to cross, the Jerichos He's beat for us. And together we'll raise a banner for God and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He did it for them. He's done it for us. And He will always be the great God we praise and serve. Amen. I trust this morning, if you're staring at an obstacle, a hurdle, a stumbling block, that you'll take the protocol of Joshua 3 and 4 as a life lesson. Follow the Lord. Wait, wade, and witness. And then watch God do an encounter in your life like never before. Let's pray, shall we, First Family Church?